Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. This isolation thing is such a journey and I was just really at the I need a psychiatrist point of my journey. So thank you so much, Steve. One of the tips that you gave was to get one of those shiatsu massage chair things. Yeah. Another one was to use a vibrator when you're really stressed. That one caused a few problems in the medical community. I can do that. I wasn't going to mention it, but Michelle's already there with Big Buying Guests. Welcome to hell. Ah, we're back in homeschooling hell at our place, so I'm sharing my office with my two children. They're both 10. And that is why the editing of these is getting worse. It it takes me so long. I'm honestly interrupted, I reckon, every six minutes on average, day and night, not just in the office. I mean, that's just life every six minutes, I reckon. But I have to say that their school is excellent. Their teachers are definitely shouldering the load. So thank you to the teachers out there. In here, everywhere, in everywhere we are in this world. God, amazing. Thank you so much. I assume you have kids of your own and lives of your own. And you're also on the other end of the Zoom trying to help these dudes find links and all that stuff. Thank you, teachers. At first, I thought it was unsustainable. But now I think maybe we can do it. We got to do it anyway, eh? And I'm feeling okay about it today because today I'm in acceptance. But that could change. In fact, I shouldn't even say today. I should say right in this second, I'm in acceptance. What am I talking about? You're about to find out because Nellie Thomas brought us a real live psychiatrist. And one of the things he is going to talk to us about is the grief cycle, which I was sort of peripherally aware that I was in, but I mean, who the Christ had time to think about it any deeper than that? And then he made us think about it. So all of this will make sense in a minute. He is many things apart from being a psychiatrist. His name is Steve Ellen, but we can call him Professor Steve Ellen if we want to. You might have seen him on TV or heard him on the radio or bought his excellent book called Mental, which he wrote with comedian Catherine Devaney. 
Anyway, hopefully you can grab some time for yourself now, more than six minutes ideally, and listen to a chat between two crazy ladies and a psychiatrist. And I hope there's something that you can like in it and that can make you feel better. Because I'm in hell. I don't know about you. There he is. Oh. Hi, Steve. I'm babysitting a cat called Chip. I just have to show you real quick because he's decided to jump in. Oh, my he's, God. He's not a kitten. He's actually a dwarf cat. Is he? He is. He's so like beautiful. Proper, properly diagnosed dwarf cat, not just like a small fissure short statured cat. Yeah, a little chip of oh, love. Now, for because we are live, so for our live listeners, um, I reckon lots of watchers, what are they, whoever they are, hello. I think lots of people know who the wonderful Steve Allen is, but I think he deserves a proper intro. He's our first actually qualified guest. <laughs> so, yeah, Evie's a qualified goggle boxer. I don't know if you can claim to I be that, Steve. You know, no, I can't. I can't. I can qualify. For I don't know what what am I called? I'm like I'm a what doctor. How many letters have you got after your name? Can I show off for a six qualifications? So I've got, but that's if you really count them generously and super exaggerate. Bachelor of yes. Surgery, which is yes. a medical degree, Master of Medicine in Psychiatry, yes, Fellowship of Psychiatry. Yes. So that's what makes you a psychiatrist. It's called a fellowship. Uh, Doctor of Medicine, that's like a PhD in the medical faculty. And then graduate diploma yes. of clinical hypnosis. Whoa. You can talk to us as a psychiatrist, which, yes. frankly, I'm sure I'm not the only person who really friggin' needs right now. Genuinely, I have gone and gotten myself over the last even handful of years a mental health plan from my GP probably three times and never actually made it to the first appointment for whatever reason I I missed it I forgot it I never quite got around to it and that's just that's before lockdown dude that's before (laughs) (laughs) you're not the only one who does that though so you know tons of people contemplate seeing a shrink of some sort psychologist psychiatrist counselor whatever tons of people consider it some of them then make the next step and go and chat to their GP or whatever and you know sort of narrow it down but not everyone then makes the next step of actually booking in and so um not surprising at all but now is as good a time as any because paradoxically you know everything's really quiet for us at the moment you know we've done massive preparations in the hospitals and the community mental health sector our work's down about 30 percent and so there's psychologists and psychiatrists sitting around at the moment twiddling their thumbs and they're all fired up and set up for telehealth meaning you don't have to leave your house. You can just do it over the computer like we're talking now. I've done a session uh, uh, already and uh, this is where it gets interesting because let's say a normal session for me, I think it's 230 bucks. Uh, if they bog bill, you can claim it and get it for free, but they yep. can't claim the gap. So what my psych did was just reduce her normal fee a bit. Yeah, I think there's more people, though, who are willing to be a little bit more flexible at the moment because they recognise that the public's in distress financially as well as emotionally. It's actually one of the easiest times I reckon I've seen in the last couple of years to get into, you know, a decent psychologist, counsellor or psychiatrist. But, yeah, shop around for the right fee, I agree. I've always said that, shop around. And don't be surprised if the first person you see you don't love. It's You know, you've got to knock on sometimes two or three doors when you're trying to find a shrink because... As distinct yeah, from a surgeon where, you know, all you really care about with a surgeon is that they didn't get pissed the night before and they got a steady hand. With a psychiatrist, <laughs> you've got to like them. 
That's you do, you've, you've got, got to, to have a rapport. Yeah, if there's no rapport, it's stuffed. You know, we've been trying to push telehealth for about 10 years in Australia mm. and struggling to get people to take up the technology. You know, they're so slow. They make a million excuses. Whereas now, because no one wants to, you know, everyone wants to do um, physical distancing. Yeah. Now everyone's got the technology and all of a sudden, you know, all of those barriers that we were told were insurmountable for the last okay. decade went away like that. So we we will reduce your many, many letters and your, you know, many decades of experience in psychiatry to being our personal agony aunt. Uh, and we do have some questions from listeners, but I'm going to give Michelle the first question because you've had a hard week, Dal. Yeah, so- I mean, no specific question. It's just a, a matter of coping. I just normally I have help in the form of a beautiful housekeeper slash nanny slash nana who is here with us three days a week. She's a beautiful lady we call Nodji because it's Hungarian for nana. So she's like a family member, but she's isolating with her own family. So I'm I'm doing her job, plus I'm still working from home. I'm writing and I've got my kids and I am just so overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm not coping. And my kids are 10, they're twins. And I'm saying to, I'm being honest with them and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not coping because I'm sometimes yelling. Sometimes I shut down and can't speak. Sometimes the house is terrible, you know, like, so it's a pretty broad general. Your your story is one that I, I'm sure you do, Steve, one that I keep seeing as well, because you get these sort of Gwyneth Paltrow version of, oh, you know, just make yourself some scented vaginas and learn fucking Auslan. <laughs> and then you get the truth, which is for a lot of people kind of you, you're wavering between going, okay, I'm okay, like I'm safe, I don't have coronavirus, I, I know objectively my family is safe, I'm okay. Yeah, and I'm not going to get evicted. I'm very aware that I'm lucky in a lot of ways and my kids are well-behaved. I'm aware of that, yeah, but still I'm not coping. I am not coping. And there's no, I don't don't have anyone to help me. That's the worst bit is that feeling of helplessness of like I don't know where the end is. There's no one I can ask to come and help me. Yes, and no one can say it'll be over in March next year or September. Or in fact, yeah. So, Steve, that sort of sense of because what I hear as well is that thing, and and I reckon a lot of people are going through this where you go, well, first world problems, you know, like I'm we're, we're actually basically okay, but I feel really out of control. Like, do you think a lot of people are going through that, and what can we do about it? Mm, I reckon that's you know that's like the biggest question. Yeah, I'm going to give you and, thirty seconds. Not really. Yeah. Go. Now, my sense is of what sort of happened, um, you know, sort of watching the last few months. So, um, you know, in essentially, where are we up to now? April, March, what comes before March, February. In February, it was a curiosity. Yes. And we're all watching it. A little bit scared because we started hearing everyone telling us what, you know, the really, you know, the really bad things that could happen. And we yeah. started seeing Wuhan. Then we started seeing Italy. We saw a little bit about Iraq. And we st- but still it was a little bit distant, so it was a little bit of a curiosity. In March, gradually, we um, quite appropriately gradually increased the sorts of restrictions and the government started saying it's time to take this seriously. Initially, you could tell people weren't taking it that seriously and so lots of horror stories were released and, you know, and you could see people were trying to build up fear to, you know, um, again, try to quite appropriately try and get the public to take this seriously and they started introducing it. 
was it in a way? It's like because people, in a way, I wonder, I mean, I don't know how if it's accidental or curated, but because people were ignoring the things that were being asked of them, then it's like, all right, well, then you want to see the horror show? Like, let me flash forward for you so that you do fucking stay home. (laughs) It was was 50-50. The government were curating it carefully. They were getting advice right from the start from the, you know, the top experts and doing a, you know, I've got to say from a health perspective, doing a pretty damn good job, you know, especially, you know, from someone who would never vote for a Liberal government, I was mighty impressed. Right from the start, they were saying things they were trying to, they were trying to balance three things all along. Public panic which is dangerous and can kill, you know, it can lead to rushes on banks and rushes on food and et cetera, et cetera. Economic destruction, which is dangerous and can kill, and the spread of the virus, which is dangerous and can kill. So you saw them sort of saying a mix of reassuring stuff and a mix of scary stuff, you know, like, I'm going to go to the football, it's not such a big deal, but please be careful. You know, that was all very appropriate at the time. And then the media sort of went into overdrive of um, panic, And, you know, so it was this weird balance going on. Anyway, cut a long story short, we went through this frenetic stage where, you know, we went through curiosity, then we went into preparation. And my sense is in the last couple of weeks, we've all moved into, you know, this sort of sense that you're describing, Michelle, where we're all sort of feeling the uncertainty has really slapped us across the face you know, big time, that sense of fear, you know, and and the fears, you know, realistically it's, totally reasonable that you're feeling the way you're feeling never before in our lifetime even you know every crisis we've ever faced whether they were bushfires or barley bombings or 9-11 or black saturday everyone we always knew it was a two or three week crisis we always knew things were going to move on whereas currently we don't know how you know we don't know how long it's going to go for we don't know what's going to happen we've got fears about our livelihoods we've got fears about our own health we've got fears about all the people we love if you're not waking up in the middle of the night at the moment, you know, having periods of anxiety, if you're not having the odd panic attack at the moment, then, uh, you know, I think you're just incredibly lucky because it's, you know, I, I mean. Or you're numb, maybe. Like really? I said, one of the things that Michelle and I have been talking about a couple of podcasts ago, you know, you see lots of those sort of sayings and memes and stuff flying around and some of them are bullshit and others land. And the one that landed for me was that idea of, like, basically be grateful. If you are responding to this with anxiety and fear, be grateful that you're sane because that yeah. is actually yeah. my sane response mm. to um, what's happening. Like, it is feel, to stay in that's probably not so sane. But, but don't you reckon we're also a little bit like deer, deer in the headlights? Yes. We're yes. all sitting back there at the moment, you know, everyone, you know, I reckon from the politicians, the scientists, everyone I see has got this sort of look on their face of I'm giving this my best shot, I'm giving you the best information I've got, but at the end of the day, you know, everyone uses that word unprecedented. At the end of the day, I don't really know how this is going to play out. Can I ask you that, Steve, because one of the things that listeners might not know is that you work in in a cancer centre, so you work in a major cancer hospital, so to me, this is kind of a, a bigger version of being told you've got cancer. Yeah. Like you finally realise, well, we don't have any control. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how long we've got on the planet. We have to face that but deal with the anxieties of all the people around us. Like do you think it sort of mirrors some of the things that your patients go through? I do, 100%. But I actually think that we're slightly wrong to think that. And I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, uh, 
in our efforts as a um, as a community, in particular the government and the health community, in our efforts to get people to take social distancing seriously, we spread a lot of really scary messages about COVID. That was at the time quite appropriate because we, you know, we had to do the biggest social change in probably almost in history. We had to get everyone to agree to stay the hell at home within the space of about two or three weeks, two or three or four weeks we had to get everyone to stay at home. And so we had to come out incredibly strong because as a community, as a, as a community disease, this is really serious. You know, 1% of our population maybe, you know, is going to be facing serious consequences. You know, quarter of a percent might die. You know, the, as a community, this is one of the, this is as big as a war in terms of the effect it's going to have on, on our economy and our, um, and our health. So it's, it's a big deal. You know, and I don't want to be inappropriately reassuring because I want people to stay at home and follow the advice. But on the other hand, really, the way it's going in Australia, probably around about 35% will end up getting the illness on current numbers. And of that, about 1% or less will end up probably 0.5%. So 30, you know, so, you know, you can do the maths yourself, but it's, you know, probably it's worse to be a smoker right now. One of our listener questions that I know will be really relevant to Steve as well, working in a hospital with lots of health workers, is that fear that you might be responsible for someone else getting it. In Michelle's case, like she was terrified to get a washing machine fixed in case the guy came over, had corona and he had it on his hands and then Nana gets it and she had it, you know, and then you go down the rabbit hole of death and destruction and the same for every nurse so how do you cope with that idea? Yeah, I think that's a really tricky one. This is incredibly common at the moment. We're having people ringing up with everything from panic attacks to sleepless nights and especially healthcare workers and especially anyone who's got a relative or friend or loved one who's got any sort of chronic illness um, yeah. worrying about what if I give it to them? You it's know, terrifying. How am I going to deal with the guilt? And it is, it's yeah. terrifying. You know, I, I wrote a tip sheet on this for healthcare workers the other day. Yeah, send us a link. Oh, I'll send you a link. It's actually on my website, but it's also, you know, a lot of people are starting to try and think about this. I think the first thing is to um, start the conversation. So the people that you're worried about, talk to them. So my dad, for example, he's 84. He smoked for not long now, 70 years. He started when he was 14. And uh, the last two or three times he's got a cough or the flu, he's got a bit of pneumonia. So we're, you know, so he's really quite worried what will happen. And we are all are too. So the first thing is we're having the conversation and respecting his wishes. So we're listening to him so in terms of what he says. Do you raise it or do you wait for him to raise it? Do you go, Dad, I want to talk to you about what's going on or like how? Yeah, how I raised it, but then I'm in, you know, I'm in a healthcare worker. So I have more, you know, I've, I'm lucky I've got access to lots of information. So, you know, I said to him early on, this is, this one's serious. This one's not yeah. the usual media beat up. This one's serious. You've got to think long and hard about it. You've got to weigh up whether you want me and my two sisters to visit. One of my sisters runs a market. Yeah, um, and so she's at, you know, reasonable risk too. And so you've got to think long and hard. And also he loves going to the RSL every night. So, you know, Dad, you've got to weigh it up. You've got to weigh it up. You can't be sitting, you know. So about a month ago or six weeks ago, you know, he made the decision himself. Okay, he's, he's still going to the RSL, but he sat in the, in the crappy smoker's lounge rather than the good one, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and, you know because no one goes out there and, you know, and um, so he made that. So the first thing is you've got to start having the decisions and let them make the choice. Because he yeah. said early on too, he said, the social isolation is worse for me than the risk yeah. of getting 
COVID because, you know, really, I don't overly, you know, care that much, but the social isolation I can't cope with. As time's gone on, he's said he's got quite used to Zoom now and et cetera, et cetera. You know, he stopped going to the RSL, but he's doing stuff. And so, you know, he's making the decisions himself. So one, share the decision. Don't try and take it on yourself. Don't say to yourself, I have to be responsible for deciding what to do to protect my mum, my dad, my sister, my brother, whatever. Can I put it this way? Don't become the parent. Because one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is how hard it is when you see, like we were joking that Michelle's beautiful mum kept wanting to pop down the shops for an eyebrow pencil. And, you know, we've had other listeners who are like, oh, mum, you know, dad still wants to go down the RSL and go around for a barbecue and blah, blah, blah. And you do find yourself, you're like in that sandwich generation going, I'm trying to protect my kids. Now I'm trying to protect my parents, even though they're adults. So do you just say don't do it? I'm very stern. But I reckon... It's stressful. That's because you love them. And so, you know, that's beautiful. But on the other hand, the risk is that we become dismissive of um, their current abilities. And the risk is we become paternalistic and we start telling them what to do when they're still more than capable of making their own decisions. And everyone's entitled to make bad decisions. We all make bad decisions Uh and they might make bad decisions. And we have to be careful that we don't treat them like our kids because it's just, it's not only disrespectful, it's wrong. You know, elderly people have, our society undervalues the wisdom of elderly people. And they might be a little forgetful about where they left the bloody keys or, you know, who the current prime minister is, but they've still got this enormous wisdom and ability to make decisions and I know I'm sounding paternalistic myself now but what I'm trying to say is she listens to Ray Hadley every day Steve she's got terrible judgment she's entitled to it sometimes the crap judgment that we see is actually good judgment and we end up thinking it the same it's just a different perspective and I think it's so important to to let them make decisions whether they're good or A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bad. I guess what I meant, like I totally take your point because I think it's important and I'm glad that they're starting now to show recovery rates and mm. not just death rates so that some yep. of that is like more reassuring. But I guess my what I was saying is more in an existential sense of kind of going, we are we at a moment where we realise, like none of us know, like any, any one of us touch wood could get cancer today or yeah. we diagnose a cancer tomorrow or any other illness or any other massive life change, you know, we don't have any control. It's illusory. And yet this is like a mass reminder to all of us of that is, is get, I guess, what my point was. Oh, sorry. Yeah, That's I agree. Totally. Like I psychologically unsettling. That is so true. The whole principle of existential, there's a, a school of psychotherapy called existential psychotherapy. I need to get into that shit, mate. Oh, well, it came from this guy called Irving Yalom, and uh, he was like a, 
almost a pop star of um, psychiatry. And I once went to see him speak in New York, and it was the only time I've ever seen, you know, like 5,000 people turned out. It was a lockout, sold out. And he talked about how he started. And so he was a cancer psychiatrist like me to start off. And what he found was people who faced cancer re-evaluated their whole life. They re-evaluated their existence. They re-evaluated their friendships. They re-evaluated what was important to them, unlike anything before. And you hear this all the time. And uh, he said to himself, if only we could develop a psychotherapy, a process where people faced the threat to their existence through cancer without actually having cancer. And, you know, so it all began. And I agree right now for the first, it's sort of like, you know, we've all been in denial of death for Mm. so long. You know, we've had 26 years of continued growth in Australia. You know, everything's gone pretty smoothly and everyone's got struggle. And all of a sudden this, you know, massive things come along and said, hey, every one of you has to consider whether you're going to be alive in um, six yeah. months. This is why Buddha challenged us to meditate on death all the time because he's said that only when we understand how close we are to death can we understand that we're alive, right? So that's why death and meditating on death is such a big part of Buddhism. But I think I'm not even so concerned with the idea that I could die of this virus. It is, as you were saying earlier, it is this idea of life being turned upside down so yeah. thoroughly, right? And that that loss of control can happen so thoroughly. What's the process when you're speaking to people who have been diagnosed with cancer and with a serious cancer when they are just going about their business? I mean, we hear about people Mm. all the time who didn't feel sick, who didn't know there was anything going on with their bodies and who suddenly have had their entire life turned upside down and suddenly it's all about medical procedures, doctor's appointments. How do you counsel them? What do you tell them? So when people find out that they've got cancer, and really in the first six weeks they're not interested in the shrinks, they, they, they haven't got time, they're in shock essentially, yeah. and they're as busy as all hell. They're having tests oh. for the first two or three or four oh, weeks. Yes. They're seeing dozens of different people, totally confused because, you know, they go in and they're so anxious, of course, they don't remember what was said and, and so, you know, the first the first six weeks is a bit of a just a bit of a storm of confusion, and then they settle into their treatment. You know, maybe then in you know about, about two or three weeks, or you know somewhere between two and six weeks, they'll begin either you know there's essentially four treatments: you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, uh, surgery, and immunotherapy. So they'll start to begin their um, treatments, and then at about the, somewhere between six and twelve weeks, they start to sort of sit back and go, "Oh my God, I'm exhausted." from all this, and this is incredibly hard, then they essentially take their psychological temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, so instead of sticking a thermometer in their mouth, they take yeah. their psychological temperature. Most people start saying, oh, I'm not sleeping too well. I'm not eating too well. <coughs> I've stopped exercising. I'm irritable at my friends. I'm snapping. It's like I've just got anger looking for a target. I'm intolerant of others. And that's when they start to reach out for help, and you know, and they and most oh. people obviously reach out to friends and family and local supports, and the odd one comes along and you know speaks to their doctor, and some come through and see psychologists and psychiatrists. And what we essentially do in that time is largely just listen and um, acknowledge the experience that they're going through and explain. But probably the most useful thing I ever, 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 ever do in my thirty years of working in sort of the psychiatry of medical illnesses—I've done HIV, burns, trauma—you know—the last three years, cancer, transplants, various things. Probably the most useful thing I do is as I explain the phases of grief, and all of a sudden, when you explain the phases of grief, people go, "Oh, 
sense. Thank God. I thought I was going crazy. I yes. thought as well as being sick, I was yeah. going crazy. And are we mass, like we're collectively going through the phases of grief right now, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. So can absolutely. you tell us what they are? So essentially, I mean, you know, different people describe them different ways, but bear with me. And you, and um, essentially the first one is so-called denial, you know, shock. Yeah, yeah. And, and often that manifests in various ways. Like you might wake up in the morning and go, oh, I wonder what I'm doing today. Oh, shit, I've got cancer. Or, oh, shit, I'm facing this coronavirus. Oh, shit. And so it manifests in various ways. And this feeling that this can't be real. Yeah. Um, the second one is the anger. And people call it often anger looking for a target, as I mentioned before. It's just you're angry and irritable. And all of a sudden your loved ones you're snapping at and your kids who normally you think are really cute, now you think are annoying. And uh, um, then the next one that we talk about is bargaining, that sense of if only only I did this, if only I did that, if I had been a little bit more careful on this, if if only the government had done, if only this had gone on and it's that bargaining one and then the next one is depression sadness where you just feel at times overwhelmed and sad and you just feel that you're not going to get through it and then the fifth one is acceptance feeling that actually i think things are okay but now here's the real catch and this is the important message is that you don't go through in some neat order one two three four five you bounce around like a pinball you might wake up in denial you might be angry by 10 o'clock you might be (laughs) arguing at midday After lunch, you might have a period of acceptance where you feel I'm on top of this, and then you might cry just before five o'clock. Okay. Oh, one hundred around, and that's why people think they're going crazy. And that's um, it's interesting. So we've done what this is probably five or six of our podcasts, and I would say even if I can, you know, be the Doctor Phil of the group, because I won't put that label on a proper. Well, I'm agony aunt. Go to Michelle. I would say I have watched you go through all of that. Like me, backward and forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. all that backward and forward. Like today you're having a rough day, but there's been other days where you've been in acceptance and then there's other days when you're angry and then there's that. And, and I've gone through all those things too, but I, I can't see myself as easily. But I think we're seeing that among a lot of people that we're close to and even that we're not close to. And well, I have to ask the question, Dr. Steve, where do you place going very, very early with the shaving of the head? I mean, I, I mean, she's going real early. I thought last week when she just kind of gave herself a bit of a side shave with the dog clippers, I thought, oh, no, no, but a few of our viewers have mentioned it. Are um, they thumbs up? They're not, are they? Yeah. It's, it's beautiful, but I think it is. But fuck, it's early, dude. Like You both know this, but I'll remind anyone who hasn't hasn't watched before, it's a weird thing for me because some of this is in the rearview mirror for me. Well, my do- oldest daughter's got a chronic illness, so we've had to go through all of this kind of exactly everything you've just talked about. Right, I'm no, I'm going to find a cure. We're going to do this bloody juice diet. Then we're going to, you know, the complete denial. It's not happening. If we do the right therapy, if we go to America, if we don't, and then you move into that, why the fuck is this happening to us? And it's not fair. And it's, you know, and then, look, you know, go through all the phases. I've kind of, I'm more practiced, I think. So I think I've gone early because I, I feel I could be wrong. Let's see you next Friday. I feel like I'm in acceptance. Yeah, that's what the hair says to me. I'm like, has she gone into acceptance? Is she like, okay, okay, we're here. Just like, you know what, this is an opportunity. I'll grow out my grace. Been meaning to do it for a while. Got a Facebook this week, closed down my socials. Going, you know what, 
someone's trying to tell me to be present at home, I'm doing it. You know what, though, because um, I think you raise an important point, and that's the issue of practice. You know, you're saying you've had practice, oh. and it's very true. You get better at these things, and that's right. um, one of the most important messages that I reckon we're trying to spread right now is that you can practice some of the skills that will help you get through this. And, Michelle, yes. you know, that issue of Buddhism, you know, meditation is one of the, you know, key things. You know, no, no one would consider trying to swim in, you know, like some swimming race or ride in a triathlon or something if they didn't train. Yet yeah. people think that they can take relaxation for granted and you can't. You have to train up for it. And, yeah. um, and you know, and just like having gone through these experiences, you can think back to yourself of how I've handled them before and what I can take out of that and what I can, you know, you, what which bits I can use going forward through this crisis. You can also say what skills do I need you know, yes. do I need relaxation skills? If so, how am I going to get them? Is my sleep sleep stuffed up? How can I teach myself to sleep better? Because all of yes. these things are habits and we can work on them. You know, am I drinking too much? Am I eating badly? Am I not exercising? Yes. You know, all the things that we know create the building blocks of mental health. You know, right now we can work on. And uh, it's just that, you know, we've got this mentality, you know, that for physical things we have to work on it, but for mental things we take it for granted and we say, oh, no, I'm shit at meditation or I'm crap at this. And it's mm-hmm. bullshit. You know, we can improve our skills if we take them seriously and treat them the same as we would treat a physical issue. I always say to everybody, everyone thinks they're shit at meditation. That's what it is. Like yeah. everyone, you know, that is meditation. You know. So shit at it. That is meditation, sitting there thinking, oh, no, oh, I'm thinking about something and that trying to push it out. That is meditation. That's what mm. it, we're all doing. That's yeah. all we're doing. And you yeah. think there's something else that someone else is doing. And I think exactly what, what Steve is saying there as well about when you've had that sort of existential moment of realising that you don't have control yeah. and that can come in lots of different forms for lots of different people. You know, my, if you've just gone through grief, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, in our case a different story with our daughter, then you're more practised at that realisation. You still delude yourself again very quickly but you do have control. But I think it's less of a shock. When you and it's exactly why a lot of people I think in in less privileged communities than ours are less shocked. Yeah. They're like, this is life, mate. Once again, we've been incredibly lucky. We've probably got the most we're the most isolated country in the world. We've got yeah. the easiest borders to close in the world. We're one of the richest countries in the world. We've got this incredible health system, and we're getting a three months head start that Wuhan, Italy, Iraq, New York didn't get. Oh, New York got yeah. the head start but didn't take advantage. You know, we've got the head start. And so, you know, we've already almost doubled our ICU bed numbers. You know, probably in another four weeks when the actual peak starts maybe hitting, we'll probably have tripled our ICU numbers. You know, yeah. so it's been sort of weird. On the one hand, we're facing something that we haven't faced before and is quite unusual for our community. You know, on the other hand, once again, we're a little bit lucky compared to everyone else. We've dodged a, oh, you know, a little so bit of a bullet. Can I just tell you the question that we're getting most often through from viewers slash listeners is about sleep. Let's go for sleep because I reckon yeah. I've got my sleep pretty well under control in the last few years after oh. being a chronic insomniac. And so I practice. I'm doing what Steve said and I can't sleep at the moment. Well, I have always been a great sleeper until my father was getting towards the end of his life. And at that point, both my mother and I started waking up about once a night and we still, we've never been able to shake it. And we're still very much in that. Mm. Both wake up at around about 1.30 or 2am still. So Steve, should we um, drink ourselves to sleep? 
No, so absolutely not. Um, or <laughs> we should cut back. Um, notice I've got my triple R stubby holder tonight. Yes, yeah, so um, nice cross promo. We also got to mention Steve's book, by the way, while we've got Pete, the listenership. So yes. Steve wrote a fantastic book which contains information on sleep called Mental with uh, one of our colleagues, Catherine Devaney, and uh, there's sleep stuff in that. So what do you reckon about sleep at the moment? First start, if you know, I don't know anyone who's sleeping well at the moment. I'm waking no. up for around about an hour and a half every night. My time's 2.30, I'm awake, and I'm normally awake till around about 4. So I think that's a really reassuring thing to actually say to people, when you wake up in the night, don't think you're the only one or that somehow you're out of control or that you're really losing your shit. Like everyone is having sleep problems at the moment. It's actually yeah. quite a normal response. Agree. And one of the things you can do when you do wake up is say to yourself, me and all of Australia, and try not to worry too much. Because, you know, one of the problems when you wake up in the middle of the night, you start thinking, I'm going to be exhausted. This is terrible. I've got to sleep. I've got to sleep. I've got to sleep. Put it out of your head. You're not going to sleep. No one's going to sleep every night through this. It's bullshit. You've just got no chance. I don't, you know, I haven't spoken to someone who's sleeping all the way through the night at the moment. And some people wake up at about five in the morning or 4.30 and can't get back to sleep. Other people are in the middle of the night people, that's me, and some people I can't get to sleep till 2 a.m., but then I sleep till 7. And so we're all a little bit tired at the moment, so it's completely normal. Now, the way if you really want the best information, just Google sleep hygiene, and probably one of the best places is actually Victorian government's Better Health Channel has really good tips. But in a nutshell, sleep is a habit. And you can train yourself to sleep better. It doesn't happen quickly. It normally takes a couple of months to change your sleep habits. But it's got, you know, you'll look, if you look up sleep hygiene, you'll see it has stuff like all the obvious stuff, like don't drink caffeine after about 4 p.m. because it stays in your body for about three, four, five hours. So no caffeine, no cut back alcohol. Now, that's a little bit of a problem because I know people are, you know, all having a few drinks at about, you know, five or six at the moment because of the stress of the world. But the problem with alcohol is it's short lasting. So it relaxes you, but it wears off after about three hours and it's a diuretic, meaning you need to have a wee. So inevitably, if you drink much, you might feel relaxed, but you'll wake up at about three in the morning, you'll need to have a wee. And because it's a relaxant, you get rebound anxiety. So your anxiety goes down. I hate you so much right now. Higher than it was just before. Keep drinking, keep drinking through that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Finally, someone understands my message. Yeah. Yes. And the problem with alcohol too is it's because you know addiction actually only means two things. Addiction means the more you have, the less it works, and when you stop, you get sick. That's essentially what addiction means. And so the problem with alcohol is you know the more you have it, the less it works. So you you've really got to pace yourself. But I'm not a person who would say no drinking. But I'd say, you know, two drinks a night's pretty safe. A lot of people would say one drink for a woman, two drinks for men. But I'd say, you know, around there, you know, if you have the odd night when you go up, try and have the odd night when you don't drink at all, et cetera, et cetera. Try and and play it safe and know that after this crisis you might have to pull back a little bit. Anything else that's obvious on the sleep hygiene front? Because one of my questions is, and I know Michelle and I uh, have been talking about this, is whether or not to nap. People argue this one all over the shop because at the end of the day, you know, when we're born, we sleep about 20 hours a a day. By the time we're 18, we sleep somewhere between around about six and nine, and it's largely genetically determined. And you largely stick to that until you're about 50, and then you start to go down a little bit, um, probably by about an hour or so by the time you're 65. The other catch is that's the total amount per day. So if you nap for an hour, if you're 65, if you're like, I'm 57. 
Now, if I have an hour's nap during the day, I will sleep an hour less at night. And that's just so the amount you sleep is a total. So if you nap, be prepared that you're not going to sleep as much at night. So be prepared to read a book or watch Netflix or whatever you do because you're only going to sleep five hours at night if you sleep an hour and a half in the night. if you're waking day. up for an hour and a half in the night yeah. and you have a, you know, half an hour nana nap, you're probably all right. Or is it going to ruin your patterns? No, I don't think the nana naps matter too much. My only tip on nana naps is don't do them after 4 p.m. Because I find if you do them after 4 p.m., your sleep's really stuffed. Um, if you can do them before 3 in particular, like I don't mind 11, 12 or 1 having a nap for an hour. It doesn't bother me at all. It's obviously culturally in some cultures that's just a given. And yes. um, there's no harm in it at all. But be prepared. You will sleep slightly less at night. Thank you for downloading Welcome to Hell. We'll be live streaming again on Friday night from 6pm. I'm going to try to drink less. Even just during the stream would be helpful. But just in general, that that came out of that. I cut a lot of the, that out because it was embarrassing. But anyway, Friday night from 6pm on the Australian True Crime Podcast YouTube channel. Because who's got the time to organise another YouTube channel? Not me. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Good luck with just all of it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.